start these off the same way. I want to make sure that people get a proper introduction to who you are and how it is that you got into photography. So what is it that made you pick up a camera for the first time? So I have been into filmmaking since I was very, very young. Um, I was literally eight years old when I first picked up a video camera. So I actually went on to uh, study film in college and sort of somewhere halfway through college, um, I was heavily into social media. I was running a YouTube channel and I was shooting an Amazon Prime series sort of at the same time. Um, so I was already very invested on the social media end. And then a friend of mine introduced me to portrait photography. And um, I actually did it just kind of as a personal challenge, uh, decided to do stills for, I think, three months and started an Instagram account. And um, then it sort of escalated from there. And here we are three and a half years later, and it's my full-time job. So well, you've come a long way in three and a half years, I have to say. Let's sort of, let's pick this apart a little bit. Let's start off with the actual shooting. What's your directorial style like? Are you quite, quite um, persistent with getting exactly the right expression and movement? Or are you very open to letting your subject kind of throw things at you? So it's definitely a very wide spectrum in terms of how I work. However, um, something that's always very important to me is that it's highly collaborative. To me, it's very 50-50 between the model and myself. So if I have a very specific vision or intention, I'll make sure to discuss it ahead of time. In terms of conceptual work, sometimes I do have a very clear idea of what I want to communicate or convey with a photo or set of photos. So then again, I, I try to discuss it ahead of time in, in detail. Um, and then other times I'll kind of just give the model a framework to work with and tell her like, Hey, please run with this. If there's anything that you can personally associate with it. And I can give you micro adjustments along the way if you'd like. And in terms of your subjects, you know, what do you think makes a great model for you to work with? Hmm. That's a really interesting question. Um, I think if I were to approach from the side of saying uh, what attributes my favorite model ever has, um, she is, again, incredibly collaborative. We do a great job brainstorming together. So we'll kind of build ideas on top of each other. Um, she's very open to trying new things that are outside the box. She's very non-judgmental when it comes to creative ideas. And, um, and she's just very dedicated. She practices a lot. So there's just a lot of actual raw skill there, um, you know, that backs up then doing more um, emotionally heavy work. So, so it'll be difficult for a model to pull through on a narratively heavy concept if she doesn't know how to stand against a wall, if you know what I'm saying. Right. And in terms of your, the sort of pre-production, I guess it's a lot of that is down to you. Are you sharing like mood boards and do you do mock-ups of generally what you're looking to do or are you just very verbal on the day? No, I definitely, I prep ahead of time. Um, I style most of my shoots in terms of fashion. I also, um, I studied makeup for a long time for the sake of film. So often I will also do makeup and hair on shoots or collaborate with the model or the, you know, designer um, on those elements. Um, I try to be very deliberate when making those choices. And I do love to create mood boards, although often I don't really draw inspiration from other photography. Most of the time I'll be drawing inspiration from either fashion or, um, you know, classical art or modern digital art or, um, a lot of cinema. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll put together sort of things from different genres. One thing I'm always quite fascinated by, and I've been in this position many times myself, is when something isn't quite clicking on the shoot, something's not quite working. Uh, what's your solution to when something's just not going right on the shoot? 
I'm trying to think back to the last time that happened. It doesn't happen that often, fortunately. I think usually with proper preparation, um, it's very easy to just kind of fall into a flow state. However, I guess once in a while, a concept just won't turn out the way that, you know, it was envisioned. And in that case, I just kind of say like, hey, um, we're just going to do something entirely different. I try to completely back out of whatever this one-way street is and just start from scratch. And in terms of getting into the the mind space of someone that is the subject of a portrait, um, have you ever spent much time in front of a camera yourself? And, you know, has that has that lended itself to your experiences with directing people? So I don't spend that much time in front of the camera um, simply because I feel like, you know, there are people who do this professionally and are very, very good at it and I'm not trained. So um, it would be a waste to put me there. However, I, um, I try to go in front of the camera once every couple of months just for the sake of improving my communication with the model. Um, and I think that's good practice for any photographer. I... Um, I have learned a lot about what makes the model comfortable or uncomfortable being in that position, just in terms of the atmosphere and the communication and the engagement between the photographer and the model. So uh, from very simple things such as, you know, ask the model before you move something that's on her, like a piece of clothing or her hair. Um, don't just don't just touch her without asking, even if you're familiar with her. Um Two more complex things in terms of communication regarding, you know, emotionally heavier subjects, how to approach that very carefully and gently as not to be too abrasive. You know, I didn't really want to go down this route too much, but it's something that I do find quite fascinating. And I do think it's something that comes into play an awful lot with photography in particular. And I think given some of the actions and some of the things that have gone on, especially out your way in California over the last few years. Yeah. What are the challenges and benefits of being a female photographer? Um, yeah, I get that question a lot. So there's definitely a lot of benefits associated with it. Um, models are clearly more comfortable around me on average. And um, I hear that from models a lot. So, <laughs> so I, you know, on some occasions, a little too comfortable. This one time I met a model for the first time and we were shooting together on a very secluded beach. And uh, next thing I know, she's naked in front of me and I was not prepared <laughs> at all. Um, I'm very awkward around nudity, so I didn't quite know what to do. But, um, you know, I, I take it as a compliment because it means she was just very comfortable, I guess. Um, it's it's nice because because especially I shoot with a lot of women, so they're very, very trusting and open. Um, and it's easy to associate on a more emotional narrative level, um, you know, having conversations about uh, experiences um, that that are, you know, potentially related to the photos. On the flip side, I would say the major challenge that comes with being a female portrait photographer is just that it is, you know, it's a male dominated industry. So in terms of the community aspect, it can definitely be a challenge to integrate myself in a way where I receive just as much respect as my fellow, um, you know, co-workers in, in quotes. Um, I do feel like sometimes I have to push a more masculine personality to try to fit in and blend in and not have anybody treat me differently because obviously I don't want to be treated differently. In terms of photographing male subjects, obviously you've mentioned female subjects being much more comfortable with you and, and something that I can 100% understand and I've heard myself on many occasions. My wife also does photography, so we've heard the same thing. But do, do you find any issues when you're photographing male subjects at all? 
To be honest, I really don't do that much. My style is just very feminine and whimsical. So it just lends itself to the female aesthetic. Um, I, I shoot with guys once in a while and definitely never run into any issues. Um, I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't speak out on any positive or negative aspects of that. It's just one of those funny things I've found as I've carried myself over to photograph more and more men, it should be a case that things become more and more comfortable. But what in actual fact happens is that you quite often have a clash of egos or a clash of 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 personalities almost where one's trying to be more macho, I guess, than the other. And it's it's a, oh, really? it's a it's a it's a game I'm just not particularly interested in at all because I couldn't care less what you know, if as long as I get the photos that I want and they get the photos that they want, that's all I'm particularly concerned with. But quite often it feels right. like um, you're kind of baited into man versus man as opposed to just like model and photographer. It's a very strange situation. You would think that it would just even itself out in the same way, but it, it doesn't seem to. One thing I do with the podcast quite often is I do, I do a bit of weird research into the people that I'm interviewing. With you, one of the things I did do was do a bit of a deep dive into your Instagram comment section. Oh, okay. Um, and I've noticed that there seems there does seem to be a little pattern of every so often you seem to get like niggly comments where people are criticizing you or or sort of disapproving of something. And I just I just kind of wanted to ask you about that. What's what's you know the what's it like receiving that kind of negative feedback? And what's the difference between that negative feedback and actually useful constructive criticism? Oh, um, uh, I mean, that's actually a little bit difficult. I feel like I've been incredibly spoiled, um, with not quite enough negative feedback. Um, I think, you know, once in a while I'll have a comment come through and I, I, I believe, um, they are probably mostly related to the retouching, um, because obviously I do edit in a slightly more, surreal and fantasy-like fashion. So once in a while I do, and I see this myself, um, that I do push the retouching a little bit too far. And to be honest, I do appreciate it when people bring that up because that's kind of when I know, oh, I feel like I've crossed a little bit of a line here and maybe I should dial it back coming from here. Other than that, I'm trying to think what other criticism I faced. Uh, do you have any for me that I can address? It's never going to be my thing to bring up actual quotes on a on a podcast because that would just sound like I was sandbagging you. <laughs> I will say just just for the record that for those that don't know that you're German, you saying that you don't receive enough negative feedback is the biggest giveaway I've ever heard for someone actually oh, being German. So funny. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's just it's just one of those things I've just seen a few times come up where people have have you know I, I mean I guess like you've mentioned sometimes it's to do with the retouching is it something that mm -hmm. you you take on board and you're actively trying to appease all of those comments or do you look into who the person commenting is and then kind of give it the necessary weight that it deserves no I don't care who the person is um and I don't set any value um in that regard I truly just actually look at what it's criticizing and then try to put myself in a more objective position and, and actually objectively view my work. And when it comes to retouching in particular, you know, if someone's commenting on my colors, I couldn't care less. Um, they're the colors that I like and I'm going to keep experimenting and weird things will come of that. However, in particular with retouching, I think it's an incredibly important subject um, in regards to uh, just the beauty industry and the photography industry and how it shapes beauty ideals. And I want to be a part of a progressive movement, not a regressive movement. So those are comments that I really, truly take to heart, no matter, you know, 
who's saying it. Um, and I always try to check myself when it comes to over touching. I mean, you've, you've pretty much brought up what was going to be my next point. So I'm slightly suspicious, but I was going to actually <laughs> sort of touch upon like, we've got this body positivity movement. I'm not quite sure what the Americanism is for it, but in, in England, it's been mm-hmm. referred to as the body positivity movement. Yeah, same here. Um, and obviously retouching has taken a bit of a kicking in terms of mm-hmm. like magazine covers being um, over retouched in some opinion and, and that it's kind of forcing ideals on on young women, especially. Where do you kind of, where do you fall on that? Do you really feel retouching has that much influence on beauty standards, I guess? I, I do feel that way. Um, I definitely, I've been subject to that, you know, as a woman, um, especially in Los Angeles here, the beauty standards are pretty harsh. And then um, I do believe that in our community, specifically, you know, the people that I engage with on Instagram, we are moving a little bit progressively. So we have a couple of sort of unspoken rules. Uh, we we don't liquefy faces. We don't liquefy bodies. Um, and in terms of retouching, and this is kind of where our community splits itself into two camps, some people go very heavy and stylized. And then some of us do our very best to maintain the integrity of the face in terms of its shape. So even when you're reshaping in retouching with light and shadow, um, I personally try to just maintain the shape as it was and just enhance um, what's already there. But that's very recent for me. So so that's something that I'm learning as of the last couple of months. I apologize for asking a particularly loaded question here, but I'm, I'm very curious. You're, you're in... <laughs> You're in the cultural center of the world, let's be honest. And um, you've just talked about the beauty standards there. Genuinely, as a question coming from someone that is ignorant to this, how much do you think that the industry needs to change to accommodate beauty standards? And how much do you think it has to be careful to not encourage unhealthy lifestyles? Uh, It's something I think about a lot, um, particularly because I do have a lot of friends who, who work in all aspects of, of health. So I have a lot of friends who are nutritionists. I have a lot of friends who, who do fitness, but I also have a lot of friends who are advocates for mental health in the regards of eating disorders. Um, and you know, I think that overeating is just as much as a disorder as undereating. And I think both are heavily related to the beauty standards that we are setting out, especially online and on social media. So I do think that the movement obviously needs to be towards health above all, not a certain body type. I think if someone is healthy, you know, if, if a doctor checks them out and says you're all good, then that's, I feel like that's what we should be pushing towards. I'm certainly not in the position of saying that it doesn't affect men because I know sort of firsthand how how it can influence and sort of affect the mood and, yeah. and mental well-being of men. But it definitely seems to be something that's being pushed heavily um, over towards being a female narrative as opposed to sort of helping young men. Do you think it's something that we need to focus on more to help out young men as well? I absolutely think so. I think that um, I think that the traditional association with masculinity is obviously not to be emotional or not to think about aesthetics as much as women are meant to or allowed to. And I definitely don't want to devalue masculinity. I I truly actually believe in um, uh, gender attributes, if you can say that. That's not the right word. I know what you mean. I get you. 
However, I, you know, I do believe that it's very important to take just as much of a look at, um, at men's mental health in regards to body image as, as women's. What I do kind of notice is that, you know, for men, the ideal is generally just often fit. Um, however, for women, there are some more unhealthy ideals, for example, extremely underweight or skinny or an unrealistically small weight, waist with, you know, large curves, which can only be attained through surgery. Um, I do see that less on the male side. However, I'm sure it also exists to a certain extent. Now that we've cleared the waters of what are probably the most terrifying part of this, which is to talk about <laughs> the social impact of, of retouching. Discussion. One thing I would like to ask you, because obviously you are uh, obviously immensely talented with your retouching and your shooting goes inside, uh, goes, goes coincides with that. Which do you prefer, the shooting or the retouching? Um, that's really hard to say. Um, they honestly both terrify me. So uh, I don't know how to answer <laughs> that. <laughs> I love them both. I couldn't pick. And in terms of like time, how much is your time divided up between sort of planning and shooting and then the retouching side? So a lot of it is definitely planning. I, I do spend a lot of time just kind of thinking and I'm turning concepts over in my head. I always, I always like to think better to be overprepared than underprepared. And if I get there day of and I feel like winging it, I'll wing it. But it's better to have a backup plan than no plan. In terms of the shooting, usually my shoots are one to two hours, rarely any longer than that. And I, I don't shoot a lot quantitatively in terms of actual photos. However, I do go through a lot of different looks. So my shoot's very fast paced. Um, and then in terms of editing, I would say on average, a regular edit will take me anything between 20 and 60 minutes, um, depending on, you know, what it is. Um, and then sometimes I'll do composite work and then that'll take me, you know, upwards of an hour per photo. And you've already mentioned, obviously, being a film student. Is that the biggest influence on your work in terms of colouring? Absolutely. I think, well, that's where I studied colour, right? So I learned, um, you know, colour theory and obviously also lighting um, for film. And then I also learned colour grading for film. So it was much more difficult to grade moving pictures. And now that they're still images, I have so much more flexibility, which is very fun. Um, but yes, that's definitely my inspiration when it comes to color palettes and when it comes to narrative storytelling through colors, which is what I aspire towards. That was not correct grammar. <laughs> that's, that's, that's so good. You do something that actually terrifies me, which is is teaching retouching. How did that come about? And, and do you, I've got to ask, can you, can, is there even a way to possibly enjoy teaching retouching? Oh yeah, it's a really good time. Um, so I mainly teach through tutorials, which I've been doing now for almost, oh, uh, so, is that right? Since 2018. Was that two and a half years? Almost three yeah. years? Yeah. So I started teaching way before I was ready to start teaching, if we're being completely honest. But um, basically, at the time, I think I had around 15,000 Instagram followers or so. And my work was just highly stylized. So I was getting a lot of requests to make um, either a YouTube channel or tutorials. So I just kind of slipped into it. Um, I thought, okay, I'll make, a, I'll make a tutorial. And if 10 people buy it, then I will have made back the time that I invested. And um, actually like 350 people ended up buying the first one. So, so you know, I ended up sticking with that and um, have been making new tutorials periodically since then. Currently, I think I have four that are live. 
you bring up something there that's really, um, I think, underappreciated is almost everybody that, that sort of starts up their own form of teaching usually does so before they actually feel ready to do so. How, how nerve wracking was it to get started? I mean, it was really terrifying because I, you know, I felt like I, I was getting requests for tutorials, but I was like, do you guys really want to learn this? That seems weird to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> so especially because yes, I had traditional training in film, but I never took a single photography class. I never even watched a photography tutorial. Um, I was pretty much like 99% self-taught. So um, you know, so what I've done to remedy that obviously is offer people free updates for my tutorial. So as I've learned, I've shared that updated knowledge with people. And I know that's sort of what justifies it in my head, um, and makes me much more comfortable with the idea of jumping into something before I might be at the perfect point to do it. You mentioned Instagram followers a minute ago, and it's been pretty much the theme of the podcast has been me as a 32-year-old man that's about 60 mentally, trying to get my head around the behavior of people when it comes to Instagram. How much do you let what works on Instagram dictate the way that you work, generally speaking? I don't, honestly. I try to stay as far away from looking at the numbers as possible, if that's what you're referring to. Right. I'm also constantly changing my style and shifting around. So I think if I was looking at the numbers, my work would be a lot more static and I would kind of just try to reproduce things that have worked in the past. Um, however, I think it's really important to always stay moving and always inspire people to also stay moving themselves. So I have, I've never hesitated to, to do strange things and not know what comes of it. And if something bad comes of it, then that's okay. I'll try something else tomorrow. Do you know what? I'm starting to get a bit suspicious now because that's the second time you've pretty much led on to something that I was about <laughs> to ask. So I feel like you might have had an insider get get the questions ahead of time here. But you, you're mentioning static portfolios, and and I think that's that's a really good terminology. Mm. Is is you see it quite often with people. Um, I've Absolutely. certainly been in that camp. I think every photographer at some point or another is in that camp. Mm-hmm. One question I do want to ask you is uh, something that I was criticised with a few years ago. And it's always stuck with me as being a kind of an interesting way of thinking. Do you think that your portfolio should show an improvement in your work? By which I mean you would leave in work that would show how much better your more recent work is? Or are you someone that feels that you need to remove stuff that falls below the standard that you are currently at? I mean, I, I definitely believe that it's great to show where you came from, I think. Especially on Instagram, it... <sighs> The globalization that social media offers us in so many regards of, you know, so many aspects of our lives is just us comparing ourselves to other people constantly. And suddenly we're not just comparing ourselves to our three friends in our little town somewhere in the middle of nowhere. We're comparing ourselves globally, which is insane. Um, You know, you can go online and compare yourself. Yeah, literally globally, which is, I think, very damaging uh, to creativity. So I try to make it as clear as possible that... This is not any natural born talent. This is just me putting in work every single day. But like, you know, please go ahead and see where I was day one. So you can you can scroll back and you see my very first Instagram post. It's still at the bottom of my feed. I think that's super important. I mean, one thing that I find fascinating with photographers is when they sort of only know how to cite photography as an influence, where mm, they look yeah. at other photographers' work and then not to not to be too disparaging here, but I think you can become painfully derivative if you are only taking influence from the same medium that you're working within. 
I agree. You've mentioned film already. I'm assuming movies take a, a big part of, of your influence, but where do you take your main sources of influence from? So if I was to quantify it, I would say um, narratively the main source of influence is just my personal life and my emotional life. Um, visually, I would say it's definitely film. Um, and then, you know, uh, if we if we continue going down the list, I really do like song lyrics and trying to base visuals around song lyrics because I think often lyrics are very visual and do paint a picture. Um, so it's easy to associate images with that and put something together surrounding that. Um, and then beyond that, I do love looking at digital art. I do love, you know, just going to galleries and seeing um, more classic, classical work. That's not the right term. Classic art. <laughs> One of them is the right one. I'm not talking about the time period. Um, you know, more traditional work obviously uh, has held up over hundreds and hundreds of years. And there's a reason for that, right? So we should be studying that. I want to try and draw a controversial quote out of you here. Not really, but maybe. There are a lot of photo cliches around at the moment. I could certainly probably list off about 20 off the top of my head that drive me absolutely mad, but... <laughs> Are there any cliches within photography that kind of bug you or irritate you or that you would just steer clear of a thousand percent? Oh, um, you know, I honestly, I, I can't condemn any of the trends because I learned through trends. When I was first starting out, I, I was shooting neons. I was shooting fairy lights. Um, you know, I was shooting with prisms and I, I think that latching onto a trend and trying to make it your own, even in the smallest way possible, is a great learning experience. So I don't condemn that at all. Um, I try not to do it, but I'm sure I'm guilty of it. You know, everybody is, right? So. Yeah, I, I think I'm just a really angry, sad little British person that gets angry whenever <laughs> I see certain cliches. I mean, I, would you like to talk about any trends in particular? Uh, do you know what the one that's if I'm honest the one that's that's just I, I'm so beyond fed up with is just like aggressively overtly sexual stuff like at the moment I, I think we are right. I think Bill Maher who has a, a talk show over in America he said that we are generation ass where it's like everything <laughs> every every person's merit in in terms of like the way that they're sexualized is all to do with with I'm going to say it the English way their arse and I, mm -hmm. I can't stand photography that is just body part centric and there's no, there's no expression to it other than hoping that hormonal people will double click on it. Right. I, I'm definitely with you on that. You actually brought me on a, um, have an association with that. The one trend that does bother me where, where my friend John and I will always send the pictures to each other and complain is when you have a girl and she's got either water or some other liquid going all over her face or into her mouth. And personally, I find that unnecessary. Um, I'm trying not to condemn it, but it does bother me, you know, for the same, for the same reason. I'm happy to condemn the things that I don't like. Don't, I'll do the condemning, <laughs> let people come after me. <laughs> no, I just try, you know, I try to think that like art is art and maybe there was an intention that I'm not seeing. Um, but it's, Maybe there wasn't. <laughs> you know. to, to me, there's a bit of a Trojan. I mean, not to go too deep into this, but there is a bit of a Trojan horse happening at the moment, which is the idea of empowerment is being um, used to smuggle in sexualization. I think like there's 
there's this idea, especially it's like a, a male, it's a male feminist derivative where they'll talk about how it's liberated. An absolutely perfect example I can give you is the free the nipple movement was like mm-hmm. 30% women that have that mindset that they, they want to be able to not, you know, be um, shamed for their body compared to the same body part not being a problem for, for the men. But about 70% of that movement is just gross men that were like pretending that they were empowering or trying to support and they were actually just after seeing some boobs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely goes along with the with the whole over-sexualization that you use sort of as an umbrella term. I think that I think that it is very recent and due to social media and due to the very loose guidelines. I mean, Twitter is even more extreme than Instagram, right? I'm not on Twitter, but I know that you can just have full on pornography on Twitter. Right. And it won't get banned. But even on Instagram, I would say, you know, some of the images, I would consider them pornography. Um, And I think, you know, maybe pornography has its place in many people's sexual lives. And I completely respect that. However, I think it's usually not something that we're seeing, um, you know, at 10 AM, um, right next to our breakfast plate, (laughs) um, you know, to be very crude about it, we're not used to just seeing some girl's ass right there. And I think that that is definitely influencing us heavily, um, on a psychological level and, uh, probably, um, affecting, um, us in many ways that we can't even foresee yet. So that'll be interesting. I honestly feel like I'm going to need a ladder to dig us out of this, uh, this pit that I've dragged <laughs> us into. Okay. So let's talk about you. Let's talk about a little bit of self-analysis here. What do you think in terms of viewing your own work, your own body of work, the way that you work, you obviously you see more of what you do than anybody else. What do you think your biggest strength is as a photographer? Um, oh, yeah, I caught you out. Yeah, I didn't, you want to ask me about my greatest weaknesses, I'll come right at you. But uh, <laughs> my uh, my greatest strength, I honestly, I do think probably working with a model is, it's one of my favorite parts and aspects of, of photography. And I think it's probably something that I'm better at than other aspects. Okay, so to cheer you up, because you're becoming painfully German here, what is your, <laughs> your biggest weaknesses? <laughs> um, so it, Oh, definitely. Oh, there's so many things that I could scrutinize now, you know, very German. Um, I definitely <laughs> find that the, that the retouching, I, I still have trouble with, like sometimes I'll look at my very recent work within the last couple of weeks and I'll say, wow, I feel like that doesn't look like the model's face. And I, I wish I would have stayed more true to who she is, um, you know, aesthetically. Um, so I would definitely label that as my, as my top weakness. And then next up, I would say that one too many times has it taken me all the way until getting into editing to discover what a set of photos meant to me. And I wish I would have discovered it in preparation or in shooting so that I could have better worked around it. And it would have saved me a lot of time and energy. Um, So that would be next up. I think we all find ourselves on the ladder at different points in terms of where we want to be and where we actually are. And we're all trying to get further and further up the ladder. And one thing we do quite a lot is we look at the person sort of next up on the ladder and we always feel like that's an unattainable level to reach and that that person must be so satisfied with where they are when in actual fact they're in exactly the same position looking up at the next person. (laughs) Is there any photographers whose work scares you because it's so good and you're desperate to get to that level? To be honest, um, I can't say so because I, I truly, um, 
made a very intense realization that I was in that place on that ladder probably about two years ago. And I kind of have since been moving away from that attitude. So I truly try not to compare myself and I respect very many artists, but I could never, it's very much like apples and oranges. And there might be aspects of a photographer's work that I truly admire. Um, but I couldn't say that it's something unattainable. I, I know where I want to go and I know I will get there as long as I keep moving ahead. Do you think that comparison is actually quite damaging for a photographer? Absolutely. I think so. Um, I think it probably subconsciously also creates, you know, as you're saying, a lot of derivative work, which I personally don't believe in. I think it'll happen more accidentally the more we associate and compare ourselves with the people around us. So again, I just kind of, I just try to stay in my own lane, you know, um, which I wish other people did as well sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Who's, who's been in your lane then? Who's upsetting you by coming into your lane? No, it's, it's, that's not it at all. I just, I feel like it's the most common approach to, as you're saying, put yourself in that ladder, look who's next to you, look who's underneath you, look and try to place yourself. Um, like, I feel like that's a very normal approach and I, I wish people didn't feel like they need to do that. Right. I, you know, I wish people were happy with their lane. I've talked in the past about how, um, there's a, there's a misrepresentation in my opinion about sort of beauty standards and and how that translates across to men and it doesn't work with men because men don't view it in the same way it's it's actually competitive with females so with with Mm -hmm. men you have to look for the competitive equivalent and i think one thing i've noticed from doing the podcast and it's actually been brought up quite a few times recently is people talking about kind of working out where you are in the league table of photographers or working out where you are in comparison to other photographers, like you're, you know, you're a seven out of 10, but you think this guy's a, a you know, a six or this guy's a 10 or whatever. And I, I think that's probably the most damaging thing really is when you start getting into that position of trying to work out what your own score is, because we're pretty terrible uh, as a, uh, you know, as an entire species at self-evaluating without being either ridiculously over-complimentary or going the complete other way and and picking on ourselves a bit. You seem to yeah. be someone that's quite refreshingly neutral when it comes to your self-analysis. Uh, is that the fact that you're German or is that just, are you just a very well-rounded person with a completely stable mind? <laughs> I mean, what do I say, you know? Um, I think it's just because I've been, I've been creating art since I can remember. I started playing music when I was three and I started painting and writing music when I was like five. And I think it's just always... I have always been more isolated in what I've created and I'm just not, I'm not even used to, like, I'm not used to a social media environment where people compare each other. So when I slipped into that for about a year or so, I realized how much it was tearing me down and holding me back. And I just saw how much I would benefit from being a little bit more individualistic about my creativity and self-evaluation and You know, I think something that people do all the time is compare people based on their following size, which is even worse than just like just looking at the quality of the work. Um, I've seen that be incredibly toxic and, you know, people kissing up to someone just because they have a lot of followers or vice versa, people not being respected because they don't have a big following. And I think that's quite horrible. So, um, yeah, I definitely, uh, again, I, I think everybody is going their own path and should be respected for that. And I don't think, you know, people's art can really truly be compared even. 
So I'm sat in a country right now where every single creative person basically lies about where they're from and says that they're from London. No matter how far away <laughs> they seem to be from London, they say that they're London based. So it seems like they're at like the 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 hub of Europe, I guess. You're in uh-huh. LA. You're at, you're actually there in LA. What's the yes. what's the worst part about being a photographer in LA? Oh, it's uh, there's no negative aspects to it to be completely honest. It's a great place to be a photographer. No complaints. You've just pissed off every single English person listening to this with your with your I'm enjoyment sorry. of where you are. <laughs> no, it's it's good here. I mean, I don't do client work personally. Um so I don't draw any benefits from being in a central hub for that. But if I did do client work, I know I'd get a lot of work here because it's all influencers that want the photo taken. Um, I do have a very easy time teaching out here because there's a lot of, you know, workshops and it's, it's easy to, it's easy to get booked for teaching. Um, and it's nice because my friend John and I have kind of built a pretty large community out here, um, where we'll do meetups and events and obviously not right now, but um, huh. that's been a very pleasant experience and I've, yeah, I've been very fortunate. I can't complain. <laughs> yeah. I'll be honest with you. I just, I resent you now at this point cause you're enjoying okay. California yeah, that's and I'm great. stuck here in Gale Force, England, not enjoying it at all. Okay. That, that's, I, I really do appreciate the time you've taken to talk to us and I'll, I'll draw this to a close so that you can enjoy your life without having to listen to my voice. What are you like in terms of planning? Are you someone that has like a five-year plan in front of you of where you want to take your photography? No, I don't think that far ahead. I wish I did. Um, I think very vaguely into the future. I know where I want to go next. So I always have a, a current objective. Actually, at the literal moment, I'm, I'm, I, today I started a 25-day creative challenge to try to do something um, that's outside my creative comfort zone every single day. So that'll be fun. Um, and then I, I do think very vaguely long-term. So what I've been thinking towards is actually art therapy because I'm very heavily engaged and interested in um, psychology. And I've seen very many um, therapists work very successfully with different um, art forms. And to me, photography has always been therapy. So I think maybe that's something that can be brought to more people and potentially um, popularized for the sake of everyone's mental health as it is currently deteriorating so heavily thanks to social media. So, <laughs> so that's kind of my more long-term thought. Yeah. I think, I think social media has got a lot to answer for when it comes to what it's doing to like the, the general psyche of the world. Okay. I, I've asked this question of many, many portrait photographers, and I believe today only one's actually answered me, which is mind-blowingly frustrating. So I'm going to, I'm going to put a lot of pressure on you now. <laughs> you photograph people you live in LA, you have obviously this abundance of beautiful people, some constructed, some natural. If you could pick anyone in the world to be your portrait subject for a shoot, what one person would you love to photograph? I feel like you're going to hate me for this, but <laughs> I would, if I could pick anyone, I would still pick the model that I currently shoot with the most because of our relationship. Um, her name's Katie and she's a redhead. And basically we did, we've been shooting together since my start. And since her start, my shoot was her first portrait shoot. So we, we really grew together and we can shoot anything. I can toss anything at her and we'll make it work. And that relationship to me is much more valuable, um, in so many ways on a creative level than if I named you, um, you know, a high-end professional model or somebody whose look I really love. 
Is it is it that good because you've developed the trust between you? Because obviously, like you said, you're both starting out around the same time. You build up that trust and because you're growing together, there's there's that freedom when you're actually doing stuff to to trust each other to not to I don't know to, to, to not inhibit the performance, I guess. Yes. Yeah, it's very freeing and it's very non-judgmental and it's very like we're both not afraid to take risks and um and we also we we think very alike and we she she can read my mind. I mean, um a great example for ex- a great example for example. Yes, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> A great example would be that we've done a lot of movement work together. So she has really long, uh, beautiful red hair. And so we've shot a lot of sort of hair movement together. And I am <laughs> I just recently looked back at our first work together, which was, you know, around three years ago, and it was miserably bad. Um, and then now I'm looking at our most recent work that I haven't published yet, but I'm super excited about. And it's crazy how far we've come. And I know even if I worked with a professional model, I don't think I'd be able to nail that shot with them um so it's just great communication that i really value i think that's pretty much the perfect place to end i actually really like the answer you thought you were going to upset me but you didn't oh bummer (laughs) yeah cheers the most important thing with the podcast that the, the whole reason it exists is to push people in the direction of work that i enjoy to try and bring a bigger audience no matter even if it's only one person that finds you from it hopefully lots more than that but we want people to come and find your work now after listening to um, your insane accent so where's the best place for people to go to find your work so my instagram tag is liquid verve like the word liquid and then the word verve and um yep that's also that's my website liquidverve.com all in the same place thank you so much for taking the time to do this it's been a real pleasure Thank you so much. It's been great. I appreciate it. Bye.